Never. So, hey, here's the deal. We've had lots of people that have come through the program here. They've stayed around. They've worked their program. Sometimes there's relapse. They come back. Sometimes they have tough times. Sometimes they stick around and they're doing awesome. We have a lady that has been around the program for as long as I can remember and has been working the steps diligently. And uh, she has an opportunity tonight to come up and share her testimony. Um, she's volunteered in many roles, and she's going to tell a little bit of some of those roles. The most recent is she facilitates our women's uh, chemical addiction group sometimes. And so, guys, please welcome Kathy as she comes up to share with us tonight. Thank you. Let's go to prayer. Lord Jesus, my redeemer and my chain breaker, just want to say thank you, God, for this opportunity tonight to share the story of your work in my life. I pray that you'll anoint these words as they go out from my lips, that they might encourage others to know how great and how wonderful and powerful and loving you are. And I just ask that to, Lord, this would all glorify you as that's what it's for. In Jesus' name, amen. Good evening. My name is Catherine. I am a grateful believer in Jesus Christ in recovery for drugs, alcohol, codependency. I I have 15 years, 3 months, and 9 days of recovery. Psalm 66, 16, come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. I was born the youngest of three children. I went through withdrawals as a baby because my mother had been taking codeine for medical reasons. It wasn't considered to be addictive then. I had a good childhood, but we had our share of troubles. Alcoholism is in my family history on both sides. I was warned about this. Well, I'm going to lose my place if I don't be careful. Uh Alcoholism, yes, is in my family history on both sides. I was warned about that when I got older, but I did not think that applied to me. At my mother's insistence, we attended church where I went to Sunday school. My parents had a good marriage, but there were problems with pornography that caused terrible fights, which were traumatizing to me. Because of pornography, I was sexualized at a young age. So my mother was angry a lot. She suffered from severe arthritis pain and hypertension. She had a short fuse, and little things would set her off sometimes, resulting in things getting thrown or me being told to get out of her sight. It was a mixed message to me as a child, and I thought she didn't love me or want me around. I developed codependent traits and PTSD at a young age. I became acutely vigilant of her moods and would make excuses for her behaviors to friends who would agree to sleepovers and then leave because they were afraid of her. At about age eight, I was given my first taste of alcohol at the dinner table. I was also exposed to the effects of alcoholism and physical violence at home through my sister's first marriage. I was often left in her care as she was 11 years older than me. My sister's first husband would leave and not come back for days at a time after an alcoholic binge. One evening, he returned drunk and became enraged after seeing my sister's girlfriend and mistaking her for a man. There was a lot of screaming and yelling. The baby was crying, and he threatened to make him stop. I remember a knife ended up in a wall, 
and a very scared little Kathy removed an old Civil War sword off the bedroom wall and came running down the hall yelling, don't you hurt my sister. I did not use the sword. I was just a kid, but I thought I was going to protect her. I didn't know he was often in the habit of beating my sister when he'd been drinking. By the time I reached junior high, I was emotionally shut down. I didn't cry very often. When I got into trouble, I pretended not to care. My motto was, trouble never lasts forever anyway. I had coping methods of denial, stuffing my feelings, trying to be gone or invisible. I became sneaky and rebellious. I began to smoke pot, use amphetamine pills, and drink. I had my first run-in with the police, getting caught with a friend stealing things from a department store. Our parents were called. She cried and felt remorse. I did not cry. I was just stoic, and no charges were filed against us. My brother, who was 15 years older than me, was also an influence on my life, though he tried not to be. He had moved out and had gotten married. I adored my big brother, so I wanted to be just like him. When I visited him and his family, there was pot smoking, drinking, and other drug use going on, living off the land, growing marijuana, music sessions with their friends, and a bathroom decorated with Playboy pictures literally plastered all over the walls were a part of that hippie lifestyle, and I thought it was all cool. When I was 15, I had my first sexual experience with a 21-year-old man. I thought I was in love. I had no idea he was a heroin addict. I couldn't see the red flags. I was told by my parents of his problem after they read about him getting arrested in the newspaper, and that ended the relationship. As to me dating a 21-year-old at 15, my mother explained to me later in life that her and my dad believed I was mature enough to handle it and say no to sex. My mother apologized to me for not being more protective of me. They didn't know I had been given birth control pills by my sister-in-law, and they were out of touch with what was going on with me at that time in my life. At the end of my senior year, my parents decided to get a divorce. My dad moved away to Nevada, and I didn't get to see him very often. I really missed his influence in my life. When I was 18, I started to attend college, but I had met someone, and we chose to get married. Our families warned us, but we were too young, and they were right, but we didn't listen. The marriage only lasted a couple of years because in my immaturity, I ran back home. He never wanted to separate, and I didn't really give it a chance to work out. Not long after, I met a new man and fell in love again. We moved in together and lived as an unmarried couple for six years before getting married. Within a year, I found out he was a heroin addict. I had no education about addictions. I had never even heard the word codependency, so I quickly became part of the problem. Luke 6.39, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? I did all the usual things codependents do, trying to control an out-of-control addict. I vented my anger on him, made excuses for him missing work, gave him money for drugs, I took care of him when he was sick from withdrawals. Everything revolved around the drugs and him, so I lost myself and I was sad, angry, and resentful. I pridefully assumed I knew how to handle the situation and didn't seek any help. Proverbs 16:18 says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit goes before a fall. After endless attempts to get him to stop for me, I decided I needed to understand what was so good about it, he couldn't give it up for me. I had said it would only be once, but from there it just got worse. We loved each other, but we couldn't be a loving couple on drugs and alcohol. When we finally married, we were falling apart. 
In the next six years, I had two abortions. Jeremiah 7, 6 says, do not shed innocent blood. In my heart, I really wanted to have our children, but I was selfish and scared, so I didn't take responsibility for them. I had low self-esteem and judged myself as unworthy to have children because I was an addict. I was raised to believe that addicts and alcoholics were trash, so I applied that judgment to myself. Afterwards, I subconsciously turned against myself with buried hatred and harsh judgment. I was now my own enemy and would attempt suicide six different times in my life trying to get rid of me. I called it taking out the trash. As a consequence of my choice to abort my children, I never again got pregnant. During this time, I went to my first rehab where I learned about the concept of choices. It didn't even occur to me that I had choices before. After rehab, I didn't stay clean. My husband, his friend, and I were arrested for drug-related crimes. They went to prison, and I went to jail for my first offense. <clears throat> While my spouse was gone, I kept using and was unfaithful to him. When he got out, he went to visit his family. He never returned, and there was no closure. So there I was, grieving our 12-year relationship and failed marriage. During my active addiction life, I experienced multiple sexual assaults by drug dealers and others. When I was high and numb, I rendered myself frozen and unable to protect myself. It would be revealed to me in recovery that my part was I repeatedly put myself in those situations over and over, expecting a different result. I am not, however, responsible for the actions of my assaulters. I went on to get arrested again and went to prison for a six-year sentence. While I was in there, my mother still supported me and came to visit me twice. Her unconditional love meant a lot to me. In 1991, I got out and got a job where I met the man that would be my future husband. I thought a straight man was the answer to my problems. <laughs> Sadly, <laughs> I still wasn't getting that I was the problem. Five years later, Tim and I were married in 1996. <laughs> I eventually returned to chronically using cocaine. I would admit I was an addict, but I didn't want to stop or do anything about it. I tried to hide it from Tim and my family. I thought no one could tell, but I was in denial and everybody could tell. Eventually, I attended two more rehab programs and had numerous relapses before I realized I wasn't seeking a higher power and I needed God. The first 10 years of our marriage were, di were very difficult for us. We moved to Modesto. I had switched my drug of choice to meth. I would leave for days at a time on binges. We had horrible fights all the time. I was abusive to my spouse, myself, and others. I spent my days in a closet, suffering from paranoia, drug-induced psychosis, and taking psych meds pre prescribed by doctors at the same time. God allowed me to feel the pain I was causing my loved ones, though, and that got my attention. I realized I was going to die if something didn't change. Finally, I got on my knees and begged God to help me. On September 3rd, 2001, my neighbor brought me to Big Valley Grace Church, where I went through a deliverance process in a spiritual warfare ministry. During my appointment, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. <laughs> Though I was now saved, I had not yet surrendered my will and life over to his care and control or asked him to live in my heart. CR was not at Big Valley yet, and I still didn't get that I really needed a 12-step program. I thought I was cured and could now drink responsibly, so I drank again, and that led to my using again, as it always had. 
Over the next four years, the Holy Spirit kept fighting for me. Eventually, I was brought to Big Valley again and dropped off at a program found by my neighbor called, Big, called Celebrate Recovery. I was so self-conscious and uncomfortable, and my diseased mind was looking for any excuse not to be there. <laughs> yeah. I had been reading the Bible, and I thought I was too poor of soil for anything to grow in me. I also didn't understand what everybody meant by work it because you're worth it. I kept relapsing until October 31st of 2005 when I went out intentionally looking for my bottom. That was the last day I used drugs, and eight days later, I stopped drinking as well. <laughs> November 8th, 2005, I finally reached the place of true surrender. I had come to the end of myself at last. The third step is made a decision to turn our will and lives over to the care of God. I told God, I give up and I will do whatever you want. So I humbled myself and returned to celebrate recovery again. I got a sponsor and I went through a step study. I learned it was ultimately important to work the steps and live my new life with rigorous honesty. When I got into my fourth step, I had an amazing spiritual awakening and the chains of my addictions were broken by God's mighty power. Amen. As I was coming out of my numbness, my feelings came back. We all know what that's like. I began grieving my aborted children. I thought what I had done to them was unforgivable. I found it easier to forgive others than myself. Jesus understood my struggle and led me to a class at Big Valley called Surrendering the Secrets. This class is for those suffering from the heartbreak of abortion. It was exactly what I needed. God showed me that Jesus Christ, excuse me, that Jesus' sacrifice was enough to cover anything I or anyone had ever done. He helped me to know it was okay to forgive myself as well as others. During the class, the Holy Spirit revealed the names of my children and that there were three of them, not just two. Forgiveness is key to freedom, and God says to forgive and be forgiven in Matthew 6:14. He also opened my eyes to a dark part of myself. I had not just been running away, but my self-hatred was about punishing Kathy by shutting myself off with drugs, abuse of my body, relentless self-judgment, and numerous suicide attempts because I didn't think I deserved to live. And if that wasn't enough, I had been subconsciously provoking others to punish me as well. This was hard to look at, but necessary as God was loving me and healing me and my relationships. I now have a spiritual bond with my three children and have the peace of knowing they are in heaven. In 2015, God gave me a gift. I got to take a childbirth class and help deliver a beautiful baby girl. I feel so grateful that God would allow me to have this beautiful birth experience. Isaiah 1.9 says, if you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. In 2008, God led me back to court to get my record expunged. He brought the right people into play to help me with it, and I also got a certificate of rehabilitation as well. At that time, I had no idea God had a plan for my expungement to be useful in the future. I was so happy, and I was seeing my life and relationships getting healed by God. I had caused a lot of damage to our marriage. Because of God in this program, I was able to make amends through step eight for all the hurtful things I had done. I had to learn that rebuilding trust takes time, and I needed to be patient while my husband healed, 
and I made living amends by taking responsibility for my addictions and working my program. Now we look forward to celebrating our 25th anniversary this year. A miracle. <laughs> my family relationships also were healed. I got to enjoy more time with my dad before he died in 2004. My sister and her husband came to live near us in 2010. They were both unwell, and I was able to be of help to them until they both passed away. My mother lived to be 93, and I became her caregiver in the last three months of her life until she passed away in 2015. Care caregiving mom was at times overwhelming, and I thought I might die before she did, but it was important to me to give back to my mother after everything she had gone through to stand by me. Within the years of 2014 and 2017, about 14 people died. Amongst those were my closest birth family support, friends, neighbors, and other family. As a result, I had stacked up grief, and I felt like a clogged emotional drain. I learned that grief has many aspects to it, that not everyone grieves the same way, that it can affect how a person thinks and behaves. In the aftermath, I had a whole range of emotions going on, including anger, resentments, expectations, depression, entitlement, fears, and more. I realized I needed help, so I chose to attend grief share classes at Big Valley, and I was comforted by the kindness of Pastor Scott Miller and Pastor Gordon Rumble, who conducted the services for my loved ones. My involvement in my mother's relationship with her significant other was what I would call childing by guilt. I felt like I always had to prove myself a sober, responsible person to them. I had a sense of loyalty to her to the point that I put myself into the middle of their relationship for years where I should not have been. I was very codependent to my mother. During the caregiving period, I finally got to where I was able to make a boundary with them, which was not well received. However, this was a healthy step I needed to, take, to make in order to take care of myself. In recovery, we have a saying that it's progress, not perfection. While I may want to do it perfect, I realize that I am a broken human. Life is messy at times, and I will make mistakes. What is important is to learn from those mistakes and accept God's amazing grace is there for me when I have failures. I did go through a time of struggle where I had some bitterness and unforgiveness that I just couldn't seem to get rid of. I was still working my steps and making confession, but the issue kept coming back. This caused me to get stuck for a few years. God reveals the lessons and the growth comes in his timing, not mine or anyone else's. This is also why it's important not to judge and give grace to others who are also on their own journey. In year 2020, I found I was in emotional pain a lot. I noticed I had a pattern of thinking people were mad at me when there was nothing wrong between us at all. I was having problems with my active codependency and PTSD. I had been inserting myself into things that were not my job at CR. I was having expectations and resentments, being controlling, taking things personal, and not accepting things and people as they are. Hosea 2.6, I will hedge up thy way with thorns and make a wall. She, will, she shall not find her paths. I felt God was frustrating my every move, and he was trying to get my attention. When 2020 came, I hit a new and painful bottom. Yeah, something's wrong with me. <laughs> God had been prompting me to go back to Al-Anon. In May, I decided to commit to working the program with a sponsor. As I got into step two, God revealed to me that I was subconsciously creating painful situations for myself 
making myself a victim. My new sponsor asked me if I thought I was in the throes of my alcoholism disease. <laughs> she also asked me if I thought I was trying to be the queen of CR. <laughs> wow, uh, that smacked me in the head. <laughs> there is more to alcoholism, drug addiction, and codependency than the active behaviors. In 15 years, I had never really looked at the insanity part of my diseases running without the active using and drinking. Recognizing this sure made me cry for a few hours. I learned more things from my sponsor that were helpful, going back to step two again and asking to be restored to sanity. That expectations aren't about right or wrong, but expecting them to be met is where I was getting hung up. She also taught me about a neat little thing called Q-tip, which stands for quit taking it personal. <laughs> Year 2020 was a very painful and distressing year with a lot of changes. I finished my seventh CR step study. Pandemic came, masks went on, things got shut down. I lost things and people, but I also gained things. I became more willing to go outside of my comfort zone. I learned how to use Zoom, which took me to more CR, AA, and Al-Anon meetings in new places. It is now my plan to eventually work the steps in AA as well because I've never done that. Over the years, I've struggled with, ex with issues of acceptance. A lack of acceptance is a lack of surrender, even though it is my daily habit to prayerfully surrender my will and life over to God's care and control. When I got saved and came into recovery, I didn't want to accept that family members were not going to come along with me. <laughs> I grieved over it for years. I had to let go of my dreams and accept that life doesn't always go the way I thought it would even if it seems right. I now believe that each person is free to make their own choices, free to go their own way, and I can be respectful of their choices, even if I don't agree with them. Practicing detachment, letting go, and letting God, and using the serenity prayer have been very helpful. I also appreciate the AA Blue Book section, which says, acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. When I am disturbed, it is because I find some person, place, thing, or situation, some fact of my life unacceptable to me. I can find no serenity until I accept that person, place, thing, or situation as being exactly the way it is supposed to be at this moment. Admittedly, some things in life are hard to accept, but God is in control, and it's my job to embrace life on life's terms, not my terms. So how do we keep what we have in recovery? By giving it away. By allowing ourselves to become useful to God. One of my first service commitments at CR was on the food team. I remember I was asked to man, to man the cash box. I thought, what if something goes wrong and the box doesn't balance? I'll be asked to leave and I really need to be here. God kept putting that box in my face until I finally agreed to do it. You see, God knows everything. He knows our hearts. Serving helped build my self-esteem. It gave me a sense of responsibility, and having a commitment to serve also helped keep me coming back. Once I completed a step study, I started sponsoring other women. Sponsorship is so important to recovery. I love that my sponsor gives me her wisdom and a fresh perspective. Recovery isn't meant to be done alone, and it's a very good way to share with others who are on their recovery journey. In 2006, I became a facilitator for Women's Chemical Group, and I'm gratefully still serving this way today. When I first started, I was very nervous. There was no trainings for it yet, 
I was told by my sponsor, you're doing it. <laughs> so I did it. I felt like a deer in the headlights, but I learned. In time, our CR leadership started giving essential trainings for facilitation, which are very helpful. I also appreciate the group guidelines because they make the group safe. I even try to apply them for myself at home when we have conversations or arguments, as couples sometimes do. Outside of CR, I volunteered at the church library for about three years, and I served as part of the parking lot team as well. When I was new to Big Valley, I noticed there was Angel Tree Prison Ministry. I thought, there's a place for you here. This church likes convicts. <laughs> I chose to get involved in Angel Tree by learning to be a coordinator, calling the families of inmates, and finding sponsors for their children for Christmas. I also sponsor children myself, which I view as giving gifts to my children in heaven. After a time, God allowed me to lead the ministry for a few years. I want to thank Pastor Scott Miller for believing in me to do this when I didn't think I could. I couldn't have done it without your pushing me. Thank you. Um, though I no longer lead the ministry, it has a very special place in my heart, and I have continued to be a part of Angel Tree over the years, sponsoring or helping if needed. Hebrews 13.3, remember those in prison as if you were there with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. In 2014, I found myself nervously sitting in the office of the county sheriff, along with Pastor Miller and another fellow servant. God was making a way for CR to be taken into Stanislaus County Jail. Now the reason for my expungement was being revealed for the purpose of serving in the jail. I had not been inside an institution for 24 years, and I was really nervous. <laughs> God was going to help me face this fear. In 2015, I began to go inside to share the Life's Healing Choices class with female inmates as part of a CR Inside team from Big Valley Grace. I never dreamed I would be doing this, but now I love going in the jail. My first time inside, I asked if I could touch a pair of handcuffs, and my fear was released. Since our first days of going inside, God has continued to bless and grow this ministry. Starting with three women on this team, and then in time, we were able to add two CR Open Share meetings for women and a Life's Healing Choices group for men. Additionally, we added a CR representative to attend probation orientation meetings once a month. So our CR Inside team has grown to 10 people. Since we started, there have been many volunteers who have donated their time and love to this ministry. And I want to thank every one of you and Big Valley staff who have prayed and provided the materials to make CR Insight a success. <laughs> Being able to serve in this area has been so very rewarding. We have seen many inmates accept Jesus as their Savior in the classroom. And we rejoice in seeing the happy faces of those who come to join us at Big Valley CR or other CRs after they get out. There is a slogan often heard in meetings, let it begin with me, which is about carrying the message to others in need. <clears throat> and to quote a passage from Al-Anon, Hope for Today, <clears throat> excuse me, it is true that when the student is ready, the teacher appears. I just need to remember, I am not the teacher. I am just a vessel my higher power uses to carry this message of hope and recovery. Who hears this message is up to God. We are all students as we become willing. And the thing with recovery is you really have to want it. In year 2020, the pandemic brought a halt to see our inside team going into the jail, just as it has done with many other things. I lost all my areas of service, and that made my heart grieve for a long time until I could resume facilitation at CR again. 
In life, there will always be lessons on acceptance. And I know that someday, God will reopen his jail so that we can resume loving on his inmates. He calls them that. I love that. I hope my story will encourage others to come forward to this area of service to our Lord. And to the newcomer, I want to say, good job coming through the doors of recovery. You are welcome here and loved. We have all been new, and it takes courage to walk through those doors. Recovery is a whole package, so be willing to do it all. Because as the saying goes, half measures avail nothing. Lastly, I want to say thank you, Father God, for creating Celebrate Recovery, where we can come to a safe place and get the healing you want to give us so we can become the people you created us to be, happy, joyous, and free. Thank you for letting me share. Kathy, thank you for sharing your story with us tonight. Um, I'm very grateful I had a chance to hear that. So, thank you. If uh, Kathy's story touched your heart tonight, something about it impacted you, I encourage you. Um, let her know as she's uh, hanging around here, usually before and, ha- and after. And uh, just uh, swing by and just say thank you uh, to her for that. Hey, if you are in the landing, when we're done here, head on over to the venue. First time guest when we're done. Right across the hallway, second time guest right up front. But let's close our time out with a serenity prayer, and then we'll head off to group. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever the next. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. See you guys after group. If you're online, check out our Zoom rooms. The codes are on the screen. Love you guys.